Let's turn in our Bibles tonight to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And I'm going to read from verse 16. Follow with me. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Reading, of course, from the authorized verse. Let's hear the word of God. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time and nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Him therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands, as though we needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they may feel after him and find him, though we be not far from every one of us. For in him we move and live and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the world in which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 33. Now, my text tonight is taken from Acts chapter 17. And the verse 30, it reads as follows, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And I've entitled the message this evening, Obeying God's Command to Repent. These words were uttered by the Apostle Paul as he waited for Timothy and Silas in the Greek city of Athens. This was his first visit to Athens. He was on his second missionary journey. He's about two-thirds through the tour. And now he is standing in this very important Greek city. We have a right to ask, well, what sort of city was it? 
What was it like in Paul's day? What was the Apostle Paul's first impression of it? And we would have to say this, that it was a highly regarded, prestigious city. It was known as a place of learning, place of culture, place of arts. There was many magnificent buildings adorned its streets. It was home to philosophers, poets, artists, architects, builders, merchants, traders. But it was also a very religious city. In fact, what struck the Apostle Paul was that the city was wholly given over to idolatry. Not just given over to idolatry, but the word holy is mentioned. Look at Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. Now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred within him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And the word holy means full of idolatry. The city was saturated with idols. Athens might have been a prestigious city, but it was actually a pagan city. The Athenian people were full of pride, self-will, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. In fact, they didn't love God at all with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We could say of Athens, Paul could have testified, the fear of God is not in this place. I have no doubt that the Apostle Paul was probably thinking, well, how could these educated, highly skilled, enlightened people bow down to worship gods of stone and wood and precious metals? How could they offer prayers to idols that can't hear, can't see, can't act? How could they offer gifts to appease these so-called gods that they call gods? I'm sure he felt, well, they should have known better. Yet I'm also aware of this. The Athenian people were spiritually dead to all that God is. They were blind to their sin and their need of salvation. They were deaf to God's voice. So, so what did Paul do as he waited for his companions to arrive? Look at verse 17. It says in Acts 17 and 17, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. See, in the city were certain philosophers, were told, Epicureans, and there were men of the Stoics. And when they encountered Paul, they asked this question, what will this babbler say? So after meeting with Paul and hearing what he had to say, they, they took him to the Areopagus, And they asked him, may we know what this new doctrine whereof you speak is? Now, notice that Paul didn't organize a, a barbecue for them. He didn't host an ice cream party. He didn't suggest, let's have a fun fair for the children. Now, those things may be right and proper in the life and witness of a church. They have their place. I'm not knocking that. But Paul in Athens that day did nothing of the kind. When invited, what do we read there? We read in verse 19 right through to verse 21. These particular words. And they took him and brought him unto the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, and we would know thereof what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which are there spend their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Verse 22, notice this. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens. What did he do? 
he began to preach the word of God. He used the God-ordained means of saving precious souls. He preached the word. And to illustrate what he wanted to preach, he used a visual aid. He pointed to an altar with the inscription to an unknown God and said, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by, I beheld your devotions and I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. Now towards the end of the message, as he brought it to a conclusion, he bluntly stated this, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That's what we want to think about for the next 20 minutes or so. Obeying God's command to repent. Now, five things. One, the principle that is stated in this command, underline the word repent. Here's what the command is all about. Repent. Now, what is Repentance. What does the word repentance mean? How can we define the term? The Shorter Catechism gives an excellent definition as to what repentance is. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. Remember how the Lord Jesus began his ministry. Matthew 4 verse 17. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember how he ended his ministry. Think of his post-resurrection appearance. Here he was issuing instructions to his disciples after his resurrection bodily from the dead. Luke 24, 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And remember during his ministry. Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. He said on two occasions... I tell you nay, he was speaking about the Galileans who were killed in a tar accident. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You see, the call of God, the command of God, is to repent and believe the gospel. To repent and be converted. Repent and be baptized. Acts 2.38. Now, this kind of doctrine is not popular today. In fact, it's not wanted. It's not highly thought of. It's not liked. So we have a right to ask, well, what happened to the message of repentance in the very first 21st century? Here's the answer. It's been abandoned by many. It's been set to the one side. You see, true Bible-believing Christianity has fallen in hard times. These are days of easy believism. Preachers tell individuals all you have to do is to come to Christ. And that is true. All you have to do is come to Christ. All you have to do is call on the Lord. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how do you come to Christ? How do you call on the name of Christ? And the answer is you come and call in a genuine penitent manner. You come in a way when you cry out, Lord, I've sinned against you. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I deserve hell and judgment. Lord, have mercy upon my soul. You come truly broken. You come being sorry for your sin. Sorry enough to quit. You, you become full of sorrow for sin. You admit your guilt. You admit that you deserve punishment. You see, what do people here today? Come and get a mansion in heaven. Come and you can walk the streets of gold. 
Come and Christ will sort out all your problems, financial, marital difficulties, family issues. Come and get a passport out of hell. I remember sitting in a car, dear man outside Lisburn. The man was broken. He was in tears. And I asked the man, I'll not mention his name, but he's known. Why did you come to Christ? Why did you ask the Lord to save you those many years ago? And here was his answer. Because I wanted help to get out of my financial difficulties. And I said to him, mentioning his name, well, what about your sin? And he said, I don't actually know if I'm a sinner or not. See, what is absent today? True, genuine repentance. What is absent from much preaching today is the message of repentance. A message about a life of godliness. A message about holiness unto the Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You see, today's message is man-centered. It's not God-centered. The message today is all about self, not about the Savior. The message in some churches is, what can I get from God? What will God give me? Not, what does God require of me? What duty does God want me to perform? You see, this is all part of the new progressive gospel that's sweeping into Northern Ireland. And I want to tell you it's false. And I want to tell you it's evil. And I want to tell you, Why? Because there's a key component is missing by its absence. And that key component is repentance before God. What does the word repent mean? It means a turning from sin. And forsaking it. A true and genuine sorrow whereby there's enough sense and gumption to quit. Listen to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 28 and 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You see, I want to make it clear tonight, confession of sin is not enough. Do you know that thousands in Northern Ireland and beyond confess daily, oftentimes going to the local priest, going through a religious exercise? I'm not advocating that. We don't confess sin to a man. We we confess sin to God. But the point is this, that upon that confession, whatever they're confessing, they go out and do exactly the same thing again the same day or the next day. And it's all contrary to a life of godliness. It's all contrary to true righteousness. It's all contrary to holiness unto the Lord. You see, repentance is missing. There's no genuine sorrow enough to quit and stop your sin. That's why people who confess are quite happy to be found in the nightclub, quite happy puffing away at the cigarettes, quite happy swigging away at the booze, partaking of drugs, living in an immoral relationship, telling lies, having lustful thoughts, guilty of theft, hatred, swearing, blasphemy, lovers of self, not lovers of God. Sabbath breakers. How many in Northern Ireland this day have broken the Sabbath because they're not found in the house of God under the word of God lifting up the name of the Christ of God? 
And yet the book says, this Bible, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And there's some tell us in the evangelical community that, that Sabbath day keeping is not obligatory today. How wrong they are. How many have such a love of self and such a covetous mindset that they have no true sense of their sin. They have no recognition of sin. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Sin is a transgression of God's law in thought, word, and deed. And who's sin against? It's against God. Remember the psalmist said in Psalm 51 and verses 4 and 5, he, he said, Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. See, there's no recognition of sin. And because there's no recognition of sin, there's no repudiation of sin. There's no sorry, no godly sorrow. Not sorry enough to quit. And therefore there's no repentance of sin. There, there's no turning from it. They, they don't want to turn from it. Because they love their sin. And they lay hold of sin. And they live in their sin. They don't abhor sin. They don't turn from it. They're dead to that sin. They're dead to God. But true repentance involves a turning from sin. I'll tell you something else that involves a turning to the Lord. You turn from it, the shorter catechism says, unto God. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet did say in Isaiah 55. He made this statement, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. See, it's not about reforming your life. It's not about becoming religious. I know have tried to reform. Many who have become religious, many who have become respectable. I remember a man in cold rain, he was hearing the word of God for many months, got his hair cut, new suit of clothes, stopped smoking, stopped swearing. And, and he believed by this activity he had become a Christian. But, but there was no repentance. There, there was no turning from sin. There was no actual turning to the Lord. Now that's the principle that's stated in this command. Notice the second thing here. The person that's mentioned in this command. If you go back to the text, it says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Who issues the command? God. The living and the true God. The command is not from the preacher, the pastor, not from a church or congregation, not from an evangelist, not from an enemy, not even a family member or a stranger, not the teacher. Not the policeman, the soldier, the judge. And we're familiar with those who are superior to us in certain respects. But God himself. I want you to notice something here. The Apostle Paul preaches about God at Athens. He presents God to them as the living and the true God in a threefold way. Notice he proclaims God as creator. Look at verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth and dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though we needed anything, seeing he gave it to all life and breath and all things. See, he starts with creation. He didn't start at the cross. He started at creation. Why? Because they didn't know who God is. 
They needed to be introduced to who God is. God is creator. I'm glad that Paul didn't believe in the Big Bang Theory. He didn't believe that we evolved from apes over thousands of years. He, he didn't believe that we started out life as a, a living organism, as some sort of uh, chemical soup that evolved over millions of years. No, he introduced them to the Lord of heaven. A God who is transcendent and imminent, the living and the true God. The God who created the world. Remember what we read, Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning God created the world. In the Hebrew Bible, the word God stands first, Elohim. There's an athna under it, you're to pause and think. It's a plural noun. And we've asked the question, what is God? And here's the answer from the catechism. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God created a perfect world in 624-hour days. He placed Adam and Eve in a perfect world, a sinless world. He created Adam, remember, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his body the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God built a woman for the man out of Adam's rib and introduced her to Adam. God instituted marriage in a sinless, perfect world before the fall. Didn't Paul say here, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth? One blood is a reference to, to Adam. And God commanded Adam to, to obey him. Genesis 2 and verse 17. And God and Adam and Eve enjoyed and engaged in perfect communion and fellowship for a time until sin came into the world. And how did sin come in? Romans 5 verse 12 uh, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. When did we sin? We sinned in Adam. And the guilt of Adam's first transgression was put to Adam's posterity. And every other sin heaps additional guilt. And we not only uh, became guilty sinners, we became polluted sinners because we were born with a heart that loves sin. Could I tell you tonight this information? God has created you and me. Do you believe that? Do you know that you're dependent on the Lord? Do you know that you're not here by chance or accident? I'm not just speaking about the church. I'm speaking about the day and time of your birth. Do you know that you're part of God's creative plan? God could come to you tonight, whatever your name is, and this is what he can say. I have made you for myself. I created you for my glory. And why are we here? Well, we're here to glorify and enjoy God. And that plan, yes, has been marred by sin. And now men are dead in trespasses and sin. There's no fear or thought of God. And if you die in your sins, you'll lose your immortal soul. Remember, Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you can't be. One day death will come and take you away from all that you hold dear. One day your soul will leave that body of clay and it will go out to meet its maker and creator. You have a conscience tonight. You, you know that you've sinned. Thought word tonight. You, you know that you're a sinner. Your chief sins, your particular sins, your secret sins. And yet tonight, despite the person that's mentioned in this command, God, as the living and the true God, you still choose to live on in your sin. You love your sin. You, you, your, your deeds are evil. You're a lover of self. You do things your way. You refuse to repent and believe the gospel despite the person that's mentioned in this command. Notice thirdly, or yes, sorry. 
God is also sustainer and provider. Look at verse um, uh, 26 again, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He says in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Now think of that. God is the source of your existence tonight. Your life and mine is from him. Here's the one who gives me breath to breathe, strength to enjoy. Here's the one who bestows upon me many wonderful and, and, and daily benefits. Listen to what old Job discovered there in Job chapter 12 and in the verse 10. Listen to these particular words, Job 12 and 10. In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? The issues of life belong to him, the birthday. The issues of death belong to him, the death way. He determines the times appointed. He set the bounds of habitation. How long have we got from our birthday till our death? Well, the Lord alone knows. We can presume, we can plan, we can prepare, but it's God who executes his decree. I know of a farmer, heard of him recently, who had a lovely herd of cows. He loved his cows. He loved talking about them. He lived for his cows. He had no time for God, no fear nor thought of God. Never darkened a church door, never opened the Bible, never would have called on the Lord. He was opening the gate one day. He was 48 years of age. Took a massive heart attack. Dropped dead of the gate, bringing the cows into milking. See, God is sustainer and provider. But God is also judge and executor. Do you know that God himself sits in the throne? He's heaven's supreme magistrate. He has the right and authority to issue the command. He is the creator of the creature. He, he controls his creatures. He therefore commands his creatures. And one day you'll be brought face to face with him. The Bible says that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You think of the home that you're born into, the many wonderful privileges that you've had, the gospel, Bible-believing church, somebody putting a track into your hand, Sunday preaching in the open air as you pass by, a Bible that you were given as a child, Sunday school, children's meetings, youth fellowship, and then add into that privilege is your lifestyle, all your sins of thought and word and deed. You ought to take this command seriously because God is judge. Not only creator, sustainer, but God is judge. You'll give an account for every privilege. You'll give an account for every sin. Do you know him? Can you say he's my maker, my provider, my judge? Will you fall before him tonight? Notice also thirdly here and quickly the period that's highlighted in this command. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You see, in the day when you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, in the day when the word is nigh you, in the day when you hear the call of the gospel, when the spirit of God is striving with you, in that day, recognize your sin. Recognize your guilt in the day of grace and opportunity. Not tomorrow, now. Proverbs 27 and 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. All of you are familiar with a superior issuing a command. Maybe it's a parent, and what does the children say in a, in a minute? Um, some other time. Tomorrow, I'll do that. If it suits me, I'll get round to it eventually. But it may never come. It can be taken from us. We can be taken from it. 
And yet God stands and says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 says, But now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Come now, because God is calling. God is commanding. Will, will you come to him and say, like the old publican, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Lord, I'm lost and full of guilt. That's the period that's highlighted in this command. Notice also the people that's addressed in this command. All men everywhere. Men of every color. Black, white, red, yellow, brown. The gospel isn't a white man's gospel. The gospel isn't a black man's gospel. It isn't a red man's gospel. The gospel is for all men everywhere. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature the Lord Jesus said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Men of every country, the United Kingdom, the USA, Australia, Africa, India, Canada, Europe, Israel, Gaza, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Ireland, the Republic of Ireland. Men of every condition, religious and non-religious, educated, non-educated, rich, poor, church attendee, non-church a church attendee, a self-righteous man, a reckless sinner, the atheist, the agnostic, the wife-beater, the drunkard, the homosexual. The politicians. And I would say tonight to the Prime Minister, the politicians at Westminster, I would say to your own politicians in Stormont who are standing in Thursday's election, listen, they need to repent and get right with God. And those who are advocating the murder of the children through their decision to do with abortion, they need to realize that the book says Thou shalt not kill. And they are guilty of advocating and uh, legislating for the um, murder of the little children. Right up the birth. And it's wrong. And it's a stench in the nostrils of God. And what would God say to them tonight? He would say this, repent of such wickedness. And then you'd be called to repentance. And we have a duty. Men of every class. The upper class, the rich. I'm going to preach a sermon sometime on the rich. I was thinking about those that are sailing about in 200 million pound yachts in the ocean. Howl ye that are rich. Why? Because they're rich, but not toward God. And I would rather be a pauper and rich toward God than a multimillionaire and have no thought or fear of God. The middle class, the working class, not one exempt. Not one will say, now wait a minute, God, it doesn't apply to me. I'm not included. Men of every corner. Doesn't matter if you're in the outback of the wilderness of Alaska. It includes you. The people that's addressed in this command. All men everywhere. One final thing. The posture that is inferred in this command. You see, you have a duty and responsibility as a creature made in the image of God. Because God is creator and maker, because God is sustainer and provider, it's him that gives you breath and all things to enjoy, health and strength, because God is your judge and executioner, you have a, an obligation to obey and respond to this command. It's not optional. 
it's obligatory to come and kneel before him, to confess your sin, to say, Lord, I repent. Lord, I am genuinely sorry for my sin. Now, let me just add this as I finish. You can't say that and live in sin. I received a video this week. I'm ashamed to mention this, but I have to. I feel constrained to set it before you. An individual that I'll not name, who was a former Bible college student in the Whitfield College of the Bible, who took part in our church services, whom I believe was a licentiate for the ministry. He may even have been ordained. This individual has gone so far as setting himself up and calling himself quite flamboyantly and openly, listen to this, a transsexual Christian. He has changed from becoming a man to a woman. Now, when I was sent that, I thought, I said this on Wednesday night, maybe I should call myself an alcoholic Christian. Maybe I could call myself an adulterous Christian so I can have adulterous relationships but still be a Christian. What about a homosexual Christian? What about a thieving Christian or a murdering Christian? You see, it, it, it's not right. Why? Because the key thing is missing, repentance unto God. We, we must be a turning from sin Unto God. Why? Look at verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world. High in righteousness. And what's the source of this judgment? By that man whom he hath ordained. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the proof? Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men. Notice this. In that he raised them from the dead. And the resurrection of Christ from the dead guarantees a day of judgment. When every man will stand before God and give an account of himself. And I would fear to be in that man's shoes to try and justify and argue with the Lord. But I'm a transsexual Christian. If you are a Christian, listen to me as I finish. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. All things have passed away. And all things have become you. And all things are of God. Why? Because in the new birth, God has granted the spirit of repentance. And I'm so thankful to God. We even have Christian politicians. And there are certain parties who are standing in this election. And they have totally opposed to what has happened in Stormont. Totally opposed to abortion. them, And we thank God for them. And we, they, they deserve our support. And we should pray for them. And we should encourage and help them. It's very difficult, I know. But I fear for those who have taken the opposite view. Because they have no thought of sin. They have no thought of God. They have no thought of their immortal soul. Or the day of judgment that's coming. And I thought if, if, if the Lord tonight was to come to Northern Ireland. And visit Belfast. And Londonderry. And Lisburn and Newry. And go out of the big cities into the wee villages. The towns like Tandergee and Saintfield and, and, and other places. What would he say? What would his message be? I believe it would be repent. 
and believe the gospel. And that's from this book. God hates sin. God calls for repentance. Obeying God's command to repent. Let me ask you, as we finish now, do you understand the principle? Have you heard who's speaking? It's God himself. Do you hear the word now, the period of time now that you're assured of? And it includes you. And the posture that's inferred in this command is a posture of obedience, kneeling before him. Lord, I repent of my sin. I put my trust in you for time and eternity. I pray tonight the Lord will give grace and give understanding in relation to the preaching of his word.